The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show, broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridge here. Thank you so much to Ian for the last hour and the many shout-outs. But now it's time for your fortnightly film treat. We'd make it weekly, but that might be too much of a good thing. Grab a beverage, find a speaker, a radio or some AirPods and enjoy your hour of opinions across the board on the Cambridge Film Show. So last time, since the last time we were on air, we've had the first coronation in 71 years and two bank holidays, which is pretty epic. And have there also been epic films to match such a historic occasion or slash worse representation of British imperialism or slash a parade of pretty fabric and metalware? I don't pretend to hear your opinions, but also it's Eurovision tonight, so there's lots to go with. But... I'm going to give you a clue. I think probably only one or two of our films can be called epic this week. But you know it's fun to hear about bad films as well as good. So let's get on to it. I'm Emma Marchant, hosting again. So we'll give all my airtime to my marvellous reviewers, Vicky Eyre. Hello. Luke Irwin. Good afternoon. Miles Marchant. Hello. Lorcan O'Neill. Hello. And Stuart Pask. Hello. Also on the buttons. They are most definitely going to tell you what to head to the cinema for, what to stream and what to perhaps avoid. Because friends, do not let friends watch bad films. For this hour, we're going to be looking at Disney bringing back some classic animation rather quietly before the big splash of The Little Mermaid with the live-action remake of 93, 1953's Peter Pan, confusingly called now Peter Pan and Wendy. Davy Chu's sensitive family drama Return to Soul and well-reviewed Michael J. J. Fox autobiography Still a Michael J. Fox movie. Also, we're going to look at special straight-to-prime rom-drom, that's a drab-com, One True Loves, and follow up with a walkabout rom-com in South London, Rye Lane. But before all of that, let's start with an end and the finale of Guardians of the Galaxy. Hello, Marvel. It is good to have you back. I'm going to tell you something. I'm Star-Lord. I formed the Guardians. Met a girl. Fell in love. That girl died. But then she came back. Came back a total dick. Oh, please. He left out some important information, but... That is the gist of it. My sacred mission is to create the perfect society. He didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out in 2017. Since then, we've had The Snap, the end of an era with the death of Thanos and Iron Man, more Marvel TVs, TV shows than you can shake a stick at, and 16 official Marvel movies. Add to this the off-screen drama with James Gunn being sacked and then being reinstated and also taking over DC, and you might wonder if it's just been too long for us to care about the ragtag bunch of space warriors. Although I'm going to say that. If that trailer didn't make you think it's not, then you're wrong. Um, the third and final part of this series is reuniting Space Lord, Drax, Groot, Mantis, Gam- Gamora and Nebula, and it focuses on the origin story of Rocket Raccoon. Stuart, to you first. There was a lot riding on this. I think we can safely say that. There was a high expectations. Did it deliver? 
certainly did. Um, I mean, I, I've been on this show talking about Marvel films for a while now, and, and I know that it's been a long time since some of my fellow reviewers really rated the Marvel films, and I've been perhaps over-complimentary um, for some of the uh, the less good ones, but then I am a, a massive fanboy in this regard. But I think, um, yeah, Gu- Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 really does shine a light on the flaws of its immediate predecessors. Um so I apologise, guys, for, <laughs> for praising them too highly because Guardians of the Galaxy 3 really does just blow them out of the water. Um, I think if I was going to have to compare it to its sort of most recent comparison, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, um, I really appreciated in this movie a return to practical effects um, and effects that were well-warranted given um, the, the world we know the Guardians of the Galaxy exist in. Um, yes, there's a lot of CGI, there has to be, um, but a lot of the actual set pieces um, when, when they're in their adventures around the world, around, around the galaxy, um, are, are really well imagined, really well constructed, and they look amazing on the screen. Um, and, and to compare it to, to Quantumania, uh, uh, I think a lot of the criticisms were that actually um, the CGI effects were were too much and detracted too much from the sort of um, the small tiny world that we knew Ant-Man should inhabit not this big expansive interdimensional realm which really is the home of the Guardians very well put because I was actually going to mention I was actually going to ask about the CGI versus because I, I love that kind of almost throwback to 1970s and 80s TV shows in the middle with like you say the practical set of that planet Miles um, from the very beginning shot let's say which has rocket walking across nowhere to the to the soundtrack of a uh, radiohead's creep this is clearly Rocket's story which we knew it was going to be is rocket himself enough of a character to carry this did his backstory warrant this massive finale i'd say while rocket isn't the only character who gets a light shone upon him in this film every character gets satisfying conclusion and satisfying development throughout this three i think rocket's arc alone even if we had no one else being developed at all, I think it would still be an incredible arc. It would just still be enough to carry the film. I think contrasted from how he is in the first one, how he's in denial about himself, and then you get all this development in the second movie where he, where Yondu shines light on his flaws and who he is, I think this is an amazing conclusion to his arc, which has been developed over, what, it's been 15 years now? How long was it since the first one came out? 2012, maybe 11 years. I think it's yeah, two, 11 two, years 2012, 2017, and 2023. I'm too young to remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, don't rub it in. <laughs> Luke, I don't... No, I've, we've, I, I, I don't... I, I know, obviously, Stu is our absolute fanboy. I don't know how your feelings have been about the recent Marvel films, if you've rushed, rushed to the cinema to see all 16 of those post-GOGT2. But um, how... Yeah, w- was this a highlight for you? Uh, to answer your first question, I'd describe myself as a pragmatist on the, the Marvel <laughs> scale. I always There's always something to get out of them, and I was on this show a month or so ago reviewing Ant-Man, and I managed to find positive things to say about that. And looking back now at Guardians, you think, wow, you know, this this is what good, good blockbuster cinema should be. Um, it looks visually amazing but i think the the real highlight here is james gunn you saw you alluded to the fact that he was fired from um the marvel cinematic universe for um some distasteful comments that it made online um and it's hard to imagine what this film would look like without james gunn because it's got his fingerprints all over it it's had a lot of criticism for like how 
dark it gets in places um, without wanting to, to describe them too much but you know some of Rocket's backstory um, touches on some themes of vivisection and eugenics and it's quite grim in places um, but you also get some some horror I mean you forget that James Gunn came from a horror background there are moments in this film that really look like they're straight out from something like Slither um, it manages to do do darkness and uh, marry it with the blockbuster sensibility. I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it, there's there's two things that are current in the press um, following this film. It's number well, three things in fact. So number one, this is the first Guardians film to have a particular particularly potent uh, swear word in it. Um, it's only it only occurs once. First Marvel film, I think, right? Yes, the yeah, first, yeah, Marvel first Marvel film. film. Yes, with with with, with uh, that word in it, um, and also um, uh, the. Peter, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, have come out and said that actually this is the one of the best sort of films highlighting the issues around animal uh, cruelty and, and being treated in labs, which was quite interesting for them to sort of come out and say that about a, a Hollywood blockbuster. Uh, and then the third thing is, is it is a PG-13 uh, in America. It's a, it's, what is it, what's, what's the word called a rating here in the UK? It's a... A 12A. 12A, thank you. I have a mental blank there. 12A. Um, and um, it is... Uh, it is cutting it fine but between the swearing and some of the extended on-scene violence. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Siri's got interjecting with this opinion there. But I think, um, yeah, I think it's 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 one of those ones I think parents will possibly want to think twice about because it is a P, it is a 12A, a PG-13, but it is it is really cutting it fine. It is very dark for younger children. Vicky, you gave and um, apologies for my phone by the way there. Vicky, you gave this five stars. Yeah. And maybe I'm now thinking, is it due to the sort of horror nature of no, I'm not I am joking, I'm not gonna lean, lean to mean, on that. No, it definitely um honestly I think it was just a kind of relief rating for um I'm one of the people mentioned that has not enjoyed Marvel for a very, very long time. Probably since I mean Endgame was good, but Infinity War was probably the really big conclusion to a great Marvel film I feel and this just like brought back all those emotions of like feeling that when it finished I was like oh my god I've forgotten what this feeling was and just everything about it I mean the characters like the nostalgia the incredible soundtrack which obviously everyone's expecting but they just over delivered and it wasn't like blank um, songs like just put placed there there were always good cues and it related to it and it was just the whole thing was it just felt like oh I'm glad Marvel's back in some standard knowing that James Gunn is obviously leaving the Marvel Universe and not knowing if I'm going to get that ever again but that five stars was just I was just so happy to watch this and enjoy this Lorcan, everyone's discussed here how this is a James Gunn film as much as it's a Marvel film we've talked about this before with let's say Taika Waititi's fingerprints on Thor but then Thor Love and Thunder was again an enormous disappointment do you agree with everybody here and also were there any standouts in the cast for you we've obviously got all the original suspects are back but we have chuck woody imuji as the high evolutionary who i know miles has got some opinions on so i'll come to you in a minute and um also will Poulter as um adam the warlock did anyone stand out for you in particular um well firstly the james gunn thing uh it's it is kind of remarkable how much this feels like i know vicky said it's kind of rejuvenation for the marvel for a lot of mcu for a lot of people for me this is this is the death thrall in the best possible way <laughs> it's the end of an era of them getting directors who have like, any kind of control or personality or persona they just that's gone they're just they're just hiring directors for hire who have done little things that they can completely control going forward that seems to be the mantra so it's lovely to have a film that feels like it was made by a human being 
Um, the, the, I think I said this about uh, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad film. It's, it's the only superhero film of a, of a league of films that I actually feel like they were made by a person who's got an idea and a concept and philosophy and was given control. Um, I, I will say in regards to the villain, the high evolutionary, um, I couldn't help but feel a character who wants to control everything and make sure everything, everyone thinks and acts and says the right thing, otherwise they're out. Potentially some meta-commentary going on there about James Gunn's <laughs> final film with Disney Marvel. Um, but in, in terms of the, it's, it's an ensemble cast. James Gunn, ever since he first started, he, he loves ensemble cast. He likes bringing everyone together. So I wouldn't say there's much of a standout, just everyone gelling phenomenally well together. Uh, and like everyone else has mentioned, everyone's got their little moment to shine. I would say the third act gets a little flippy floppy in terms of resolutions and I know there's a bit in the trailer regarding the high evolutionary that's not at the end of the film and I feel like there's a resolution missing there potentially because they want to do more with that high evolutionary character but um, they set up some things that are subverted rather than paid off but um, uh, uh, apart from that it's a fantastic ride and Will Poulter um, knocking out of the park in another comedy role yeah I, I, I was really really impressed with him Mars we were I, I, I was coming to you because of the high evolutionary and we, we've talked obviously Khan is the new big villain he's the new Thanos Marvel expansive villain if you like but did you find was Chuck Woody's Chuck Woody Woody's performance was that on the right side of sort of chewing the scenery for you well I think coming from Josh Brolin as Thanos and Jonathan Majors as um uh, Kang, you get Kong. villains who you're kind of sympathetic towards and understand. I think it's a nice breath of fresh air to get uh, the high evolutionary. You hate him. I think it's nice. He's kind of, he's not, he's very just, he's really easily, he's just pure evil. And I think it goes with the darker tone of the film and it goes with the kind of more, yeah, the darker tone. But I also think it doesn't detract from the fact this film is still really funny. Like, as Lorcan said, you have Will Poulter, who is, I think, hilarious. And you have a cast who clearly really get on in the hands of a director that they really respect and they are just riffing on each other the whole time. And for me, like I said, I haven't had those kind of feels since I had an Endgame. And this is what Marvel does so well. It can move you from tears to laughter in, you know, in, in the flip of a coin. And I loved it for that. Stu, last word to you. Yeah, I think uh, the, 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 it's a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. I mean, between, between a lot of the themes involved. And as you just said, you know, they're so good at flipping between just being for one minute, just making really sort of infantile and vulgar jokes all the way through to some pretty traumatic and harrowing experiences. Um, but it all pays off. Um, and again, I think it has an excellent soundtrack as well, which I think really sort of complements that tone throughout. Brilliant. Well, I, I, I feel like we could talk about this all day, all, all show, but we do have some other treats in store. So um, we'll move on. But that is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And it is coming insane. I'd say incredibly well recommended from this particular studio of people. It's a certificate 12A and it is showing everywhere. So next up, we're going to stick with Disney because they are, after all, the most the biggest monopoly probably in entertainment now. So it's hard not to. And we're going to take a trip to Neverland. <laughs> I want things to stay the way they are. Can't stop time, Wendy. Whether you like it or not. Watcher! You were flying! A little bug did it. I don't think that's a bug. 
She is a fairy. Are you Peter Pan? Were you expecting someone else? Starting with Cinderella, ten years ago, Disney have continued to mine the rich vein of their archive animations and remake them as live-action films to varying degrees of success. While the world awaits the splash landing of The Little Mermaid, Peter Pan and Wendy has been quietly released straight to streaming. David Lowry of Ghost Story and The Green Knight directs Jude Laura's Hook, newcomer Alex Maloney as Peter Pan and Nepo Baby Ever Anderson as Wendy... <laughs> in a straightforward retelling of the 1953 cartoon Peter Pan. Lorcan, we touched on this in the last review about Directors for Hire, and part of the reason that we chose to review this this week is David Lowry, because I haven't seen Ghost Story, but I know it has a big fan base, and The Green Knight, although not entirely my cup of tea, was interesting and beautiful and had a real feel to it. There was a, there was a sense of personality to it. Do we think he had any creative control with this? Does he bring anything to this straightforward retelling? Um, I don't think anyone had any creative control over this. This feels like... Um, I mean, I'm struggling to remember it now. I watched it like three days ago. But it's... Um it seems David Larry seems to do this one for them, one for me procedure where he'll do a Pete's Dragon and then he gets a ghost story and a Green Knight and then he he does a Peter Pan and Wendy. And this film this film felt more like almost a test a test reel for David Larry because he's going to be working on Disney Star Wars' new Skeleton Crew show, which has Jude Law as the villain and features a lot of kids. So this felt like Disney being like, okay, prove you can direct Jude Law, prove you can direct kids well enough. Uh, and then they just accidentally released on Disney Plus because it's not a finished film by any stretch of the imagination. It's just the most bizarre pace, presumably because it's it's shot by shot the cartoon for a lot of it, and it's it's the the kids are just awful, but not like not not like Jake Lloyd kind of doesn't know how to act, so the poor kid is trying his best. These kids know how to act, but they're just drama school brats, for lack of a better word, to be honest. Miles, did you feel that this was a worthy successor to the many versions we've had of this beloved story? Well, I think if you're going to make a live-action version of an ad... If you're going to make an adaptation of a classic beloved story like Peter Pan is, I think you have to either add something new or make it really good. This film does neither, I think. So it is, like Lorcan said, just shot for shot, the cartoon, which, first of all, is just unnecessary. We didn't... No-one needed this film. And second of all, it just takes all the personality out of the first one. Every character who you liked from the original Peter Pan story is not themselves. Peter Pan has no charisma. Wendy Darling isn't the same. Jude Law, well, I like I like Jude Law, as I know. Um, my mother doesn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do Fair enough, can't argue with that. <laughs> I do not I like Jude Law, but I feel like he's missing something in his performance here, especially compared to how he is in the um Harry Potter films, which um I think you think he's quite good in those, but I think he's lacking something in this movie. And everyone is not giving it their all. This film is so lacklustre. It's it's a nothing movie. No, no, nothing is what you want it to be if you've seen the original. I, I, yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with both of you in this one. It, it feels like the most anodyne version of this. I mean, at the end of the day, there are themes in the original Peter Pan and there are themes about adolescence and, you know, sexuality maturing. And, you know, Peter Pan is a boy that never grows up. And there's this kind of weird love triangle even between him and Tinkerbell and, and, and Wendy. And you have this thing with the Lost Boys and how Wendy is a sort of replacement mother to them, but also, you know, probably their first image of a girl as they all hit puberty. And none of that 
literally none of it was was addressed in this film at all. No, it's it's. I mean, Disney. Yeah, Disney like taking any kind of romanticism out of things. Um, I I think as well. Just it's nice to be nice, but like most of the Lost Boys and this are girls, and they make a point about making it. But it's like. Okay, imagine they make like a St. Trinian's movie and they recast most of the girls as boys. It's like at a certain point, you're going to lose the point of the story. And you're right, they do take a lot of elements out and neuter it down and just make it this kind of hogwash that you don't taste, this kind of gruel. Um, and I agree with Miles, like Jude Law, he's just such a downplayed, boring, like even his hair is flat and like it's just. He's just not doing anything with the character that they're not writing to be interesting or entertaining. Yeah, if there's not a chance to chew the scenery while playing Peter, Captain Hook, then when the heck can you chew the scenery? No one looks like they're having a good time in this movie, and it didn't, to me, it doesn't even show you any kind of magic of Neverland, or even the magic you can potentially have of showing kind of Victorian London. You know, the sets, you can, you, you can work with that, and that can sometimes be just gorgeous. And, yeah, it, it felt like such a wasted opportunity. So the biggest example of this, they even managed to get the crocodile wrong. <laughs> Which, as hard as it is, how can you do that? It's the crocodile. They even managed to mess that up. And that just I shows how bad it is. I will say that for well, there's one moment where David Lawrence <laughs> seems to have cared for a second. It's a sequence where, yeah, the alligator looks terrible, but the way the, sh the sequence is shot, it's Captain Hook like on, on like a cliff face, and he's running around, and there's classical music playing while the alligator's attacking other characters in the background. And there's a, there's a seed of a good scene in there and he almost does it but he just doesn't seem to care to carry carry it to fruition yeah it was it, it, yeah it was it was a disappointment yeah i think a huge disappointment the three of us would agree and if you have a need to uh fulfill you know some jay and barry desire in your life then just watch 1953 peter pan or even maybe go back and revisit pan with hugh Chapman and garrett headland which actually i found myself quite missing or maybe even hook with Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams. There you go. We've given you so many Peter Pan options. Avoid this unless you really feel that you wish to complete your kind of Disney's live action remakes. It's a certificate PG and it's streaming on Disney+. Plus. Let's change gears and we're going to head back into the cinemas for a new French-Korean release. Il y a des signes partout qu'on voit pas parce qu'on sait pas les reconnaître. Mais si on apprend à les lire, on peut évaluer les dangers et paf, se jeter à l'eau. Mais... Where are you from? France. France? I don't know what you're saying. Thank you. Do you know anything about Was some of the trailer of Return to Seoul, which is the story of Frederic or Freddie, adopted from South Korea as a baby by a French couple who decides who decides at 25 to fly to Seoul to seek out her roots. French Korean director David Chu's first feature in seven years is causing some buzz with fantastic reviews. Vicky, I, I wanted to make it to this, and I know that you know this was when, when, mm. again when we talk about what films we're going to do this week. This was top of your list. Mm -hmm. um, are you have you seen David Chu's stuff before or? Yeah. No, no, I've never heard of the director. The reason that this was so on my radar is it came out of the festival circuit last year with just this incredible, incredible buzz that just needed to be, um, that just had me really excited uh, to really explore this film. And just even everything about it from the post to the trailer, it's so entrancing, um, just so entrancing just to uh, really go into something that you have nothing know nothing about really just this character that's lost in korea um and then it's completely not that 
at all, the film. Um, it's a completely different storyline to what I thought it was. I thought we were going to get something like a, a comedic feel with a lot of relief, and it has that comedy there. But I thought it was, it was going to take a gentle tone, and what happened was it was a deep, sorrowful story where I came out absolutely destroyed and um, just had a wallow for the rest of the afternoon. But I still do have a really soft spot for it. <laughs> You are famously destroyed by many movies, Vicky, but yeah, I, I hear you. Luke, you saw this as well. Um, it is obviously, it's raising questions of identity, of culture. Was it easy for you to relate to this, obviously being miles away from the protagonist story themselves, I'm presuming? Um, yeah, yes, presume, presume away. Um, you know, I think despite how the film feels quite intensely Korean... Um, there's a lot of very specific aspects of Korean culture that um, Freddie gets caught up in. So a lot of the specifics of the film are her struggling to understand when she goes back to Korea the, the social customs. So there's a scene where she, like, she's told that she's not supposed to pour her own drink. Um, she's supposed to have someone pour a drink for her. Um, those aspects do have a sense of universality to them, though. There's, there's a, a story about someone feeling as though they should feel at home. She looks Korean and people tell her, oh, you look so pure, you look so Korean, you look so natural. But she feels French, she doesn't speak the language, she talks about how Korea is her home. I think there's a, there's a sense of identity in general played out through the specifics of the nature of this story. I have to say, though, Unlike Vicky, maybe I'm a bit more dead inside. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't moved so much by the story. It felt, watching it, it felt halfway between like a psychological drama and a two-hour ASMR video. <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful to look at. So Thomas Favell is the cinematographer, and he has some astonishing shots. There's so many lingering close-ups. It's very slow and very gentle, and the characters speak very deliberately. There's an incredible sound design, and it really captures you in this sense of place. Is it like, we were talking last week about Sick of Myself, and we were talking mm. about how Oslo almost is like, the, the you know, a major character yeah. in that. In this, is Seoul a major character? Seoul is absolutely, well, just, Seoul is like the main city, but it, it almost takes, the city takes on a villain arc of its own, because it is so... Um, it's she's so disassociated from it and there's a line um she says it's like three arcs four arcs in total she goes through it from when she first gets there and then it skips to maybe like three years later and then five years later and then seven years later and you see her relationship with korea from discovering her like her adopted par her birth parents um to then like how her relationship with the city changes and she says to her partner through one of these arcs that this place is so toxic to me like as in like a warning like as in please look after me because i can't control myself and she go um it's just it's like luke was saying it's beautifully shot but it's not like a a love letter to the to soul at all it's more like a like it's so dil i can't really explain it it just it completely paralyzes her in her age and she almost loses a part of herself to this city it, it's it's an interesting way to, i've never seen it done like that because she talks she talks repeatedly about how she doesn't live in korea she she says that she sort of was there by accident mm -hmm. and when her when she meets her biological father he wants her to come and move to Korea. And she says, I'm French, I live in France. But as we keep coming back, as we have these time jumps, she keeps finding herself there. In It's almost, you know, 
biblical in terms Almost of... Almost, it's like it's against yeah, it's like your a will. Yeah, it's like a you can't help... Wow, mm. like you say, I would not have got any of this from the trailer, mm. Vicky. This is and mm. Park Ji Min. I think she's. I haven't. I certainly haven't seen her anything else. This I don't think she's a massive a, Korean this star. Is her no, it's her de- first a debut performance. She's a um, visual artist by trade, so this is her first acting role. And how is she? She's absolutely incredible. She's astounding, mm. and I think um, choosing her father, who's very famous in Korea, so Oh Kwan Rock. He's been in your know, Old Boy and Lady Vengeance, and he's he is like a staple Korean actor, and they've really blended them two so well together. Um, but yeah, this is her debut performance, and I was just captivated by her every move, whether that led me to the sorrow that I endured. But yeah, I, I really recommend this to people that just need. Uh, to live through someone else for a few hours. I, I'm a, I'm slight. I would recommend it because I think it's quite an experience to watch. But I think it's one of those films where it's doing a lot with theme, perhaps at the detriment of enjoyment. So it becomes quite fragmented the narrative, which can be frustrating. Um, so I'd urge people to sort of go with it because. It only sort of adds more questions the more it goes on. Well, I think probably in a week where we were discussing again, we're heavy on streamers this week, because obviously when something like Guardians of the Galaxy 3 comes out, it does tend to sweep everything else away. So, you know, to have this somewhat more niche experience in cinemas it sounds to me very much like you two would recommend you know if 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 marvel's not your thing and you want to go to the cinema then return to soul would be an excellent bet it's a certificate 15 and it's showing at the picture house cambridge 105 radio in 1960s Cambridge, the Rolling Stones performed at the Rex Ballroom, Chris Farlow was on stage at the Alley Club, and Helen Shapiro played live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings, John Gannon takes you back to the swinging 60s with music and memories. John Gannon's 60s scene, Sunday mornings at 8 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. Impulse Fest is back for its second year on Saturday, 8th of July at Lark Hall Farm near Cambridge. Fats and Small will be headlining the day and flying in from the beautiful island of Ibiza. One of Cafe Mambo's resident DJs, Dr. Feelgood. All this along with the Impulse Radio DJs who will be playing all the big dance tunes throughout the day. Tickets are on sale now at impulsefest.co.uk. Impulse Fest, where the beat goes live Cambridge 105 Radio The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio you are indeed listening to the Cambridge Film Show here on Cambridge 105 Radio and our lovely reviewers Vicky Lorcan, Miles, Luke and Stu are about halfway through this week's offerings. Three more to go and I hope you're enjoying it so far. Next up, we're heading over to Apple TV Plus, <coughs> a documentary about one of the most beloved actors of the 80s. Still, it's the story of Michael J. Fox in his own words. The story of me, take two. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? What did it mean to be still? I wouldn't know I was ever still. That's him. That's our star. I want this job. I can do it. Whatever the exception is, I can fix it. I can be older. I can be taller. I can be anything. The popularity of Michael J. Fox is a phenomenon. 
Well, they said it right there in the trailer. Michael J. Fox was a byword for success in the 1980s. Following his role in enormously popular sitcom Family Ties, his casting in Back to the Future, famously the second choice to Eric Stoltz, led to worldwide acclaim and definitely helped it to become one of the biggest film trilogies of all time. So in 1991, at the age of 29, newly married to Tracy Pollan and filming a lead in romantic comedy Doc Hollywood, you could say he had the showbiz world at his feet. But a visit to the doctor for a tremor in his little finger would lead to a diagnosis of early onset Parkinson's disease. Still, a Michael J. Fox movie tells us his story since then. Lorcan, I grew up with Michael J. Fox. I scratched his name into my Pyrex ruler <laughs> even before Tom Cruise's. And in, with full disclosure, my own aunt was diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's in her 40s. So I went into this film sort of already invested and really interested to see what they were going to do with this subject matter. How about you? Because you are younger than me. I think my, my early exposure to Michael J. Fox was um, I grew up watching a lot of Spin City and then I do remember when they introduced Charlie Sheen as the new lead character. And I remember being very depressed. So I was like, oh, where's the nice funny man? Uh, why am I watching Charlie Sheen now? Um, but no, this, this film, uh, the best thing about this documentary is how honest uh, Michael J. Fox seems to be about everything. He, um, you get a really good sense of where he came from, what motivates him, um, his kind of downturn even before the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Um, and it's just it, it's just lovely to get a little insight. I was I was waiting for like a big political hit you over the head third act, but it's it's very low key. It is very much it is it's called still a Michael J. Fox movie. It is and it does pry in a little bit to the Michael J. Fox persona, how he's never really felt comfortable with himself and knowing who he really is. Um, so it is kind of like him still playing a part, and a part of him still like um, can't kind of let go and just be himself. Um, but no, it's, it's just it's just a very lovely insight into um, an iconic uh, personality that just disappeared. It's interesting that, that Lorcan said just just then he was expecting a kind of political third act. This was directed by David Guggenheim, who won an Oscar for An Inconvenient Truth, the movie he made with Al Gore about climate change, and also was nominated for he called him in the, he named him Malala, another you know fairly politically minded minded movie. Miles, would you say how does he do more than just an efficient job with this documentary? Well, I'd say so. First of all. Um, if you're saying like an efficient job, efficiently, I think uh, this might be a bit of a far fetch, but efficiently, I think the editing was amazing. So the they use um, clips from his uh, uh, older shows like Family Ties, where he's a lot younger, to then kind of simulate in combination with um, shots from body doubles from behind to kind of like simulate as if he's doing things that he never did, but with his young body, and. Um, the way that it's, uh, the whole documentary is actually written and framed, I think it is very efficient in showing you insight into his life and how Parkinson's effect is, affects his life. But it's not a sob story. If you like, it's not. It doesn't go. Oh, woe is me. You know, I feel so bad about it. No, it's not. He's clearly still got his pride intact, and it's not trying to make you feel bad for Marcia Fox. Uh, it's trying to shine a light on how his life is now and um, how he got to this point and, you know, what his life was like. Especially for me, who I've only ever seen Back to the Future. That's the only ever Michael J. Fox thing really I've ever seen. I haven't seen Teen Wolf. I never saw Family Ties. I never saw Spin City. So for me, this really did shine a light on him. Okay. Vicky, how mm. about you? You're somewhere in between. Well, yeah, you're somewhere in I between. I feel like Miles has just stole my line. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry. yeah, I'm the, I'm the same. I really only... 
uh, new Michael J. Fox from uh, Back to the Future, the whole trilogy. Those are films that I played and played like back to back when I was a kid, and I'm just such a massive fan of them. And then um, this really did shine a light on his whole career. It's just a documentary just constructed with care, like throughout the whole part, all parts of it. And you even get like the tidbits of the director checking in on him and just like seeing the whole process of what's going on. And it is just a great story about a great actor yeah and i think as well you well yeah because he was diagnosed in 91 he didn't go public until 98 seven years later so you do see some clips of him trying to hide mm. because the tremors really started i think in his left hand particularly and so you, you, you they do a sort of montage of shots of him sort of working around that for some time but then obviously as it as, as his condition worsened and he came out on, in the public eye anyway i believe even in spin city does his character is his character written with parkinson's in spin city i never watched i spin don't city. think they included it they just kind of quietly hushed him off i believe yeah i see um yeah i i like i say i i think yeah this is a really sensitive film and the other thing it does beautifully is to highlight his marriage which i think has been such a rock for him and that mm. is not also not an un, you know that's not necessarily all that usually in hollywood he met tracy pollen on the set of family ties they got married when he was almost at the you know he, he was going to be at the peak of his success like you say coming off the back of back to the future and that kind of thing and they've stuck together and they've had four lovely children i must admit i did I, like miles said this isn't told to make you feel awful or sad or sentimental but i did tear up at the shot of him walking on the beach, beach with, with his family yeah with his that family. was it for me be as well yeah because it's just a it, it's just a it's a, and he's sort of quietly become an advocate for this he has talked about it he has earned money you know he has raised money for what is an incredibly cruel disease particularly when it, you know when you're when you're diagnosed with it as early as he was and he went through some cutting edge surgery which is really which really has played back his symptoms for a long time he's managed to live with this for a lot longer than people did do before and that's wonderful but i think you're right and it just it made me remember just what a star he was and what an unutterably decent guy he seems with a really good work ethic too Yes, Mark. I'd just like to add on to that. Um, so, with it not being like him still having his pride, it's um, narrated by him. And there's even like shots, uh, there's little clips where you can see him recording the voice, um, the dialogue for the documentary. And it really shows you how hard it is for him. So, listening to, he has a very clear um, speech throughout all the narrated segments. So, listening to how clear it is, it really shows you how much work he's put into this film. Agreed. I think it's a really sort, and I and I guess I expect nothing else from a guy who who made an inconvenient truth and he made me malala. But you know, it is a really really solid piece of filmmaking and a great documentary. So yeah. do seek it out. It's a certificate fifteen. It's showing at the Picture House. It's also available to stream on Apple TV. Okay, we're going to go back to full streaming now, and we're going to settle into what I might like to say is a PSA on maybe what not to watch, even if your algorithms insist you should do. Let's take a listen to the trailer of One True Loves. Ready? Want to get married? <laughs> yes! Ladies and gentlemen, Jesse and Emma Lerner! I can just fly off to Alaska. Okay, I'll call you when I land. Hello? Mrs. Lerner, your husband was on a helicopter that went down in the Pacific. Jesse, at first, it was so hard to let go. 
refused to admit you were gone. Hard for all of us to let go. Thank you, Amazon Prime, and your medium budget yet high starry films. One True Loves is a story of Emma Blair, who lost her husband and her one true love in a helicopter crash only a year after getting married. Fast forward three years, and she is handily engaged to her close second place true love. But what are these shenanigans? True Love One never actually died and is back. Hashtag orcs does not even begin to describe it. Luke, I'm almost ashamed I threw this out as an option this week, uh, but it turns out this definitely led to some chat and some... Yeah, definitely led to some chat and some entertainment, I would say, on our WhatsApp group prior to the show. What would you like to say about One True Love? Well, I, I wouldn't... Um, I should be taking the blame, if anyone should, because I, <laughs> I was the one that, that eagerly eagerly stuck up and said, yes, I'd like to watch this, because even though we've got two guys reviewing a rom-com here, I'm a... I'm a big rom-com fan, and about a month or so ago, I was on here defending the Reese Witherspoon rom-com Your Place or Mine, which, boy, would I love to go back to that one again. I don't... I don't know where to begin with this. <laughs> there's... I'm not really a big fan of the phrase, so bad it's good, mm. because there's so many good films, why not just watch a good one? And I genuinely thought this might actually be quite good because you got you got it's based on a book by uh taylor jenkins reed who's a well-respected book talk well that favorite was, that of course was the other book talk that's the other reason we did it because mm. i know um vicky and myself huge fans of jc jones and the six and vicky is a huge fan of taylor jenkins mm. reed so when i when i said oh, it's be, be, her names attached to it vicky was like this could be interesting it, so, my, yeah, my thoughts exactly you've got simu lu from the Marvel films. You've got um, Philippa Sue, who was in Hamilton. You think we've got we've got some good things going here, and the the premise of the film is classic rom com stuff. Um, it's kind kind of like you know if they kept on filming after Castaway, where a guy comes back after being in a tragic crash and finds out that his partner's moved on. There's so much comedy and drama um, to milk from that, but. Uh, um, who's the man? It's Jake Luke Bracey, um, who you might remember from a G.I. Joe film. I'm going to say Tom Holliday with Emma Roberts, and that is why I was so excited to watch this. That's where I recognise him from. He's Australian, I think. He's also in... He was originally in Home and Away, because obviously you've got to read the Home and Away or Neighbours. Mm. And, yeah. and he goes disp he disappears for four years, and the, the only damage that he appears to incur during his stay away is he's grown a beard. And he's a very neat beard. Yeah, a very, a very well, yeah, a very lovely beard. Um, <laughs> and and he seems to he seems to take things pretty well. He does have a terrible dream. I think you'll find Luke. He has a terrible dream, which is obviously a reflection of his PTSD. You've touched on this. Look, Shimo Lu is big. Shang Chi was a big. I, I know Lorcan. I know how you feel about Shimo Lu. Um, Shimo Lu. He's but he's he's a Marvel star. Philippa Sue. I would say is a bona fide Broadway legend. Right. She originated the role of Eliza. She's why and and as we know, Vicky is disappointed that Luke Bracey can do some acerbic rom comedy. Why do they bring zero personality, Lorcan? Why? I well, it's this is written by the author of the book and her brother or husband because I saw the, the other writer had the same surname um, and it, it feels like someone who wrote a cheap dime store paperback novel wrote a screenplay because it's not it does it's not paced it's not the editing is so beyond shocking it's just like scenes just literally the number of scenes that just fade to black and then fade back up because they just got no idea how to mix all of this nonsense together but I do agree the first half certainly is so bad as could 
you've got uh, the main uh, the main wo- uh, the main woman who's lost her husband uh, in the middle of like East Southeast Asia, and she's standing on the edge of a pier with binoculars for a week trying to find him. And her and her wacky Aquafina ex esque friend has to be like, he's dead. Like he's you're not going to find him. There's there are some real gems like that. Um, but the, the the second half gets so bogged down in trying to take itself so seriously, and I I kind of uh, it's it just the shot composition is shocking. There's just they try to use uh, natural light as much as possible. There's not really like backlighting or side lighting or any use of shadows or anything in the foreground or anything in the background. It's just characters in rooms talking to each other. It's also, rather the painful. costuming is some of the worst costuming. I, no one. The only thing I think I when we were messing with they they set it. It's set kind of in Maine. Is that right? Is it set in New England? Yes, it is. Yeah. Set in New England during fall weather. So that at least is a tiny bit pretty. But they are walking around as if they have been costumed from, I don't know, Miss Selfridge in 1995. It's bizarre to me. That was really bizarre to me. If that's, that's the only thing that you got out of it that was bizarre. Well, I mean, um, not the, definitely not the only thing. Everything. Lorcan and I both separately came to the conclusion that it feels like it's been produced by AI. Mm. Because no one speaks like a human Every every aspect of like rom com feels like they've scoured the web for screenplays of various different rom coms and sort of just put bits of lines together, bits of scenes together, without any wit or charm or humanity. It really is quite absurd. Yeah, all the nice touches that a human being would bring to a screenplay are just absent here. It is just it's a premise that's just kind of repeated until the film just kind of ends. And similarly. Maybe has like uh, three scenes with the with his fiance. Alleged, true, alleged one true love, correct. Most of it, he's just sitting whining to his musical, to which gave me my one laugh. I did have one laugh. I think when Jimmy Lou is having one of his many scenes where he's just kind of whining about his unlucky life to his music class, but it. Yeah, it, 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 it's baffling to me how this even got made. And it makes me cross that this kind of thing gets made when there are probably a million and one scripts knocking around that are better than this and a million and one films. I feel like we could make a better film than but this. The, the thing is, the streaming should be an ideal service for these mid-budget films. And rom- like rom-coms have pretty much died from mainstream releases because you're not getting A-listers in a mid-budget film that's going to make a couple hundred million dollars. But there was no rom or com in this, right? There was, I didn't, I laughed once and, I, and, and there was really the romance, like you say, they, they, they weren't even, there was no chemistry and they weren't even really in the, in, they, in the same shot together. Yeah, they ride a lot on, they bank a lot on the character, the actors bring personality to these characters. It's like, it's like famously like sitcoms don't read well, but you you can imagine like Michael J. Fox and Family Ties. If you imagine him saying that line, be like, oh, he would deliver it in such a way that would be funny. But none of, I mean, I, I'm fairly unfamiliar with all these actors except Simu Liu, who I, I, I think is a kind of a blank personality to me. But none of them just have any charisma or timing. And they all, they don't look confused. They look like they're just waiting to, for them to say cut. Like they're just doing the bare minimum because they know exactly what this is. Yeah, it is a lazy, lazy film. And um, I'm sorry, Vicky, but yeah, this is not going to increase your love for Taylor Jenkins Reid. Well, I want to say that as, lo- as much as I love Taylor Jenkins Reid, I'm a massive Seema Liu fan on like Lorcan. Um, I only lasted 15 minutes throughout this film. <laughs> so um, I'm really, I'm sorry that 
that happened. <laughs> no, it will get thrown. It, it had been thrown up to me all week. So just if it gets thrown up to you, don't do it. Go to the Hallmark. Uh, you know what? Just go to the Hallmark channel. This mm. is what Ash would say, our regular uh, film show colleague. Ash would just say, go to the Hallmark channel. Go to the Hallmark channel and watch a Hallmark movie that at least does this without pretending to try and be something else. Mm. That was one true loves. Unfortunately for all of us, it is a certificate 12A and it is streaming on Amazon Prime. We have reached the last movie of the week and it was itself a last minute replacement for the splashy Netflix JLo streamer, The Mother. I would suggest avoiding that because I did watch an hour of it. And instead, let's check in with Dom and Yaz having a night out in Rye Lane. <laughs> Everything all right in there? Trying to have a private moment? My bad. It's not that private, though. How you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Cool. It's Dom, right? I'm Yaz. That's me. my ex for the first time since the breakup. And you're still calling it the breakup? I thought we were fine. We were better than fine. We moved in together. We had Hamilton tickets. It's a serious commitment. So what happened? She cheated on me with my best friend. You cheated on Dom? We are introduced to Dom and Yaz in a sort of meet-cute in the toilets of a mutual friend's art show. Both in their 20s, they're coming off the back of bad breakups probably worse in Dom's case, and when the bouncy and irrepressible Yaz decides to gate-crash his awkward lunch date with his ex and her new boyfriend, his ex-friend, it turns into a sort of before-sunrise type of aimless night of maybe finding a spark and maybe falling a little bit in love. Stu, we've, I mean, we've just gone through a long and involved chat about rom-coms in general. This, too, could be considered a little cliché, but debut director Rain Allen Mirror Miller, sorry, in my opinion, does infuse it with colour and some sparky dialogue and the wide action, wide angle shots. Did it speak to you? So I, I watched this very, very recently. In fact, I watched it this morning in bed before we came to do this show. So it's very fresh in my memory. And um, uh, whilst it's not necessarily the sort of thing I would normally go out of my way to watch, I do enjoy a rom-com. And um, uh, I've, I've said to, to, the, to the guys here in our, in our group chat, I said I think it had certain sort of uh, Wes Anderson vibes. A lot of the, the colour palettes, a lot of the framing were certainly uh, reminiscent of him and, and his work, uh, perhaps obviously through the lens of, uh, sort of East, East London, um, which Wes Anderson probably hasn't done much of before himself. Um, but also it reminded me a lot of the 2015 um, Simon Pegg rom-com, Man Up, um, in, in so much as the stories are very, very similar. Not identical per se, but certainly a lot of the same themes. A lot of starting your date over the course of an evening on a lie, perhaps, and things like that. But um, it, it, it's, it's, it's very... I, I watched it and I enjoyed it. It was a very pleasant film, by no means amazing but i think it did itself justice vicky this had a cinema release about a month ago we didn't review we, but this is the first time we're reviewing it mm -hmm. on this film because on this on this film show because it's now also dropped to streaming and i think it's on disney plus or hulu if you're international mm -hmm. um was it a little bit too on the nose for you or did you love it um it, it, this film basically came out of nowhere. I had no premise about it beforehand, and then it just it kind of splashed out. And honestly, it became one of the ones I really wanted to watch, but didn't actually manage to catch. So I'm so grateful it's on streaming. And um, 
I had a good time. You know, I love London. I love East London, and it's um, it it's a really great portrayal. It's it's very different to Return to Soul. It's a love letter um, to these parts of London, especially around the Brixton area and Rye Lane in particular. Um, and it just you're what you're watching the city. You're watching these people and like the environments that you may not be familiar with, and you're just having a good time with them. I think the two main leads, David Johnson and Vivian O. Opara are just incredibly bouncing off each other throughout the whole thing. It's it's very reminiscent to you know back in before sunrise times with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi. It's it's them two just having a conversation, but it's it's very different. It's a very different kind of conversation, but they are just falling in love with each other throughout it, and it's it's a very pleasant experience to go along with it. However, it then gets quite jarring in certain scenarios, and I definitely had to pause it and just be like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. Kind of awkward kind of re- like reaction um, but apart from those which there were frequent towards the end of it um, I very much enjoyed my watch Luke we've just watched uh, or talked about a rom-com that had no rom or com did this have com or rom for you it, our local aficionado of rom-com it had rom and com in spades it's when you watch a film like this you think it's so deceptively simple how effortless this feels uh, David Johnson and Vivian Oprah basically it's the two of them, pretty much for the entire 80-minute <laughs> runtime. And I would say, not, you know, what, 90% of the film is just them wandering around, and it's shot in this uh, very strange... It's, it's a lot of fisheye lenses that creates the sense that they're, a, they're in a little bubble of their own wandering around. Um, you do get a few other little... You know, you have to introduce other sequences. There's, you know, with hijinks going on... Um, Something that one true loves misses altogether the hijinks element of Imagine the, uh, the rom-com. Imagine some fantasy flashbacks in one true loves <laughs> that could have made it watchable. <laughs> um, but it's also it's a film that really just embraces the genre. Like it does, you you're always concerned with a film like this that it feels like it's going to have to do something more. Like when you think about you know like there's it begins with an art gallery and you've got an artist who's a little bit political. You're wondering whether it's going to go in that direction, but it sticks to being just gentle and nice and fun spending time with nice people um just an, a pleasant um well let's 80 minutes yeah i was gonna say because it is a very snappy hour and 20 minutes i was gonna say as well on, on on the on the subject of whether it has rom or com it even goes so far as to have a, a cameo i won't spoil who the cameo is but it's it's rom-com royalty and it, it's 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 a kind of a double take it's hard to you have to go is, is that is that how i think it is and then it, and then he's very nicely framed up under an, a nice pun referencing the film we know him from. True that. Lorcan, the, the co-writer Nathan Byron, I believe Brian, has written a lot for children's TV mm. and Vivian O'Para, who plays Yaz, is from the Doctor Who spin-off class. So do you think it was aimed at a younger audience? I know you also watched this this morning. I don't think you were... No, last night, and you yeah. weren't so keen, right? No, I, no I'm, not too, I'm not too keen. You can tell it's, it's, it's written by someone who's got children TV show chops because, my God, the whimsy. <laughs> I just I don't have much of a tolerance for whimsy. If you're going to put whimsy, whimsy in a film, you have to you have to have some some depth to the characters. Like you can't have to analogize it with something like Neverending Story. Like you can't have a Trey riding a bat towards the ivory tower without without later on a Trey like losing his horse in the in the mount in the swamps of sadness. You have to have that balance, right? If you just have all whimsy and no depth or tragedy, then you it just is a bit nauseating to me. Um, I I liked I liked the 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 main character's the main guy's best friend who kind of uh, home wrecked his his relationship and then uh, 
the guy who lives at the uh, karaoke bar. They were both really good, and they, they, they were both very charismatic. They seemed to be the only ones that kind of let loose. Everything else was, I found it a bit rigid and just lacking in any kind of depth, and it's just kind of whimsy, ha-ha-ha, and then it ends. And then you found the romantic ending, so you didn't find the romantic ending. I mean, it's a rom-com. You know how it's going to end. So I, 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 it's, it's not like I'm on the edge of my seat. I liked it. I thought I like Luke um, and Vicky and Stu, I think. I think you are the scenting voice here. I liked it. I thought it had a vibe to it, which I enjoyed. It it, it, it didn't, didn't try and outstay its welcome. It didn't try and over-egg the pudding. It, yeah, like you say, David Johnson, I've seen him nothing, and I don't watch any Doctor Who stuff, so I've also never seen Vivian O'Para, and I thought they were delightful together. And I thought, you know, talking about chemistry, they did bounce so incredibly well off each other any last words from anybody on Rye Lane other than it did do very well at the cinema and it's been very well reviewed so I would suggest seeking it out out of all the streamers we reviewed this week um, and I'm not going to include still because that's obviously still showing in cinemas I'd say Rye Lane is the one to sit down and watch maybe with a glass of wine this evening that is Rye Lane it is streaming now on Disney Plus and it is a certificate 15 so that's it for this week please do come back in a fortnight for Vicky to lose her mind over Fast X <laughs> how excited are you Vicky? Oh, words can't really explain <laughs> <laughs> see if the Little Mermaid really is going to be the horror for the eyes that Cats was I mean that is the rumour we're also going to be reviewing it's a really good week next week in two weeks actually we're also going to be reviewing Ari Aster's follow up to Midsommar Bo is Afraid starring Joaquin Phoenix and the adaptation of beloved teen novel well and this is very much in my week wheelhouse are you there god it's me margaret which is opening to fantastic reviews so thank you very much for listening please go and watch fire saga and then straight on to eurovision bye-bye the cambridge film show on cambridge 105 radio